As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! And time, and time again. Break up the music! Charge your glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Footballers' wives calling them by their nicknames, phoning it in on Pro Evolution Soccer 2010, the immortal glory of Alan Pardew versus Manuel Pellegrini, the geeks and saddos of the voting football-loving public, referees making players walk over to them to get booked, dislocated shoelaces and the footballing fascinations and irritations of Loro. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 169 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and alongside me for this one is Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going Charlie? Very well, how are you? Yeah, not bad. Um, you may have witnessed um, Australia proceeding to the World Cup uh, at the expense of Peru the other night, uh, all thanks to the antics, which I'm, I think we can describe as such, of mm. goalkeeper Andrew Redmayne, who was, who was brought on in the last minute of extra time to dance around on the goal line. Now, I'm sure many people are expecting us to um, discuss the pros and cons of goalkeepers dancing up and down on the goal line, but uh, there's an extra detail to this that has emerged. Um, Sam Gowland, who was at the game, tweeted that I was at the match and I think it's been overlooked that the Peru keeper had instructions written on his water bottle for the penalties. At the first chance he got, Redmayne threw it into the stand behind the goal. Well, that's, that's sensational behaviour. I mean, the referee couldn't get involved there. It's not, it's not like you could book him for it, could you? Ungentlemanly conduct? I don't think it is. I don't think it falls under the remit of anything. But Alex D goes on to ask, has anyone been kicked out of the goalkeeper's union before? I, I feel like this that- could be the clincher. That is a brilliant, brilliant question. Yeah. Although, is is there a sort of respect amongst the goalkeeping fraternity for this and, you know, for 
doing whatever you can to get an edge. I think if one goalkeeper has the bottle and the other one doesn't, then I think it's fair to level it up by chucking the bottle into the stands. As I say, it's not against the rules of the game, so uh, it's absolutely fine. Joining us for Mesut Harland Dicks this time is European Cup winner, former Match of the Day pundit, former moustache haver, and one-man promotional vehicle for Zara's shirts with the massive two-tone collars circa 2012, it's Mark Lawrenson. Hello. How are we? I can't believe am I only 169th? What does that say? <laughs> it just took a lot of time to negotiate with your people. That's how long it... I don't have people. I am from Preston. I do not have people. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Um, hugely important formality to begin with. May we call you Loro? It's just yes. like, I feel like mm. I physically can't call you Mark. No, no one calls me Mark. No, even better off doesn't call me Mark. So no, just call me Loro. Really? Your yeah. wife calls you Loro? Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, just just listen, just on that. I was at the railway station in Runcorn the other week. Yeah. And Rushy was there with his with his missus going to London. And his missus calls him Rushy. <laughs> which I which I felt really funny. And then I, I suddenly thought about it and thought, well, hold on, you're better off calls you Loro. So hey, hey ho. By the way, he was in first class and I was in boot class or standard or whatever it was. About right, isn't it? Sounds about right to yeah, me. I would think... You're a defender. That's just how things go, unfortunately. Exactly. But Charlie, if anything, this this kind of uh, demonstrates just how strong the tradition of footballer nicknames are. That you know, if it pervades into mm. marriages. To- yeah, totally. I mean, I, when I joined the Zoom, I, I said hi, Mark, and I fe- it felt so so wrong, and and now it feels even more wrong. So I was calling him Your that. Highness or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> your lowness. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's a topical time to have you on this podcast, Loro, because um, famously now, Loro's predictions on the BBC is no more. It's mm. a real landmark for football culture, this, I think. Dear, mm. I, I, I don't. I'm delighted. <laughs> used um, to drive me, used to drive me mad. And the thing is, I, I never, ever looked at the league table of form. I just, you know, the guy would ring me up, Chris would ring me up, God rest his soul. He's probably lying down in a darkened room as we speak. Mm. And we just whizz through it. And, but I would remember, obviously, the last one or two results. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, it, was, it, was, it was time to go all around, to be honest with you. 25 years and, yeah, onward and upward or downward. You did get the best BBC leaving gift there is, though, a lovely montage. A, a truly yeah. great montage as well. Mm. Yeah, Klopp. Klopp was on there, wasn't he? I think a few others. Tony Blair, I think. Klopp did well. a really good job of pretending to know who you were. That was good. Oh, absolutely, totally. 100% brilliant. I mean, he does know who I am, but he wouldn't... He just doesn't know my name, which, you know, fair enough. As I say, um, yeah, it feels like a cornerstone of modern English football culture is, is no more. But now I fear, Charlie, for Garth Crook's team of the week. <laughs> they can't yeah. get rid of that too. That's it. My license <laughs> Oh, they back. can. Oh, There's yeah, nothing sacred. Can. Yeah, I know. That would be a huge, a huge blow. Yeah. I, mm. I thought you would outlive Garth Crook's team of the week, Laura. Yeah, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed, but... Bearing in mind, I know it takes him four days to come up with it. I'm maybe not disappointed. The thing about the predictions is that always struck me. Uh, fair play to you, Loro, for spending what seemed to be about a decade or so listening to the Premier League predictions of film-promoting, football-oblivious American A-listers. What a service. <laughs> I mean, that must yeah. have been quite a chore after a while, right? Well, the thing is, I never met them, obviously. Mm. Um, and I didn't I didn't know until, until Chris would tell me when we used to do it sort of Thursday morning for the weekend, etc. would tell me who I was up against. So one or two interesting ones. I think um, Sylvester Stone told me to F off, which was quite good. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, 
But obviously he had a new film to promote and he's an Evertonian, so we won't worry about that. No, it was good. It was it was good, but it was mostly kind of up and coming bands that I'd obviously never ever heard of and still haven't. Laura, how did you originally get that gig? Were you thought to be a particular clairvoyant, or what, no, why? Why you? <laughs> I think I, I think I was the last man out the BBC one night, turning the right. lights off and locking the doors, and they thought, ah, there's the man. I don't know. I, um, I really don't know how it happened, which sounds stra- uh, strange and stupid. But no, I just I just think it was ah, this is what we'll do. So it's when the old online came in and all those kind of things, wasn't it? Was mm. Jermaine Genus busy? Yeah, he was probably doing that stupid show at seven o'clock that nobody watches. <laughs> when you, you get a man on from Essex who's collected 27,000 nuts and bolts. What's all that about? <laughs> but Charlie, I mean, it feels like I'm, I'm joking about um, the cultural reach of Loro's predictions, but um, let's not underestimate it. I mean... Loro, at one point you had West Ham fans singing Loro, what's the score at you? I mean, this is something that actually genuinely annoyed a body of football fans. Yeah, but you know, the irony about that is, I would say my best mate in football currently is Moisey. Is, 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 um, so, you know, it was a little bit, I, I think I started saying they're going to get beat and they kept winning and I thought, you know what? Because he's my mate, I keep saying they're getting beat. Um, <laughs> and, and they obviously started winning because he's had two really good seasons, so... It was it was just all fun. The best one was many years ago. I think it was a like a very very cold February. Aston Villa played at home, and I've been working for Radio Five. I think doing the co-com. Came off late, shivering, going to McCann. I saw this fella come up to me, very well dressed, uh, pitch black, obviously, and he said, "Oh, Mr. Lawrence, could I have a word with you?" And I thought, "Yeah." He said, "I do your predictions." And I thought, "Okay." And he said, "I have to say, you've lost me a lot of money." And I said, "Honestly, boss." I said, seriously, if you think I can predict football results, you know, you've got it totally wrong because I would be in the San Delane Hotel with my boat just parked moored outside. And he said, all right, OK, fine. And just he walked off into the darkness. So there you go. <laughs> well, let's, let's, get to the, um, let's get to the real business of this episode. The reason you're here. This is for Mesut Harland Dix with Loro. You're going to talk about, first of all, you're going to talk about the things you love about football, which is not, never something I, I considered you, you were keen to talk about, to be honest. Um, your, your first How dare one. you? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I know we are going to address the, the Loro caricature here at one point, don't you worry. But um, <laughs> So your first love of football is the anticipation of the game just before kickoff. Well, you know, so, I mean, I obviously still, I work at lots of Liverpool games, but if I don't work, I go and watch. And I go and watch Preston because that's where my dad started and, and where I started. It's just that, you know, you, you've been in there and the atmosphere is building up. You know, you might have a bit of corporate and all those kind of things. And you come out, take your seat a few minutes before. And just when they all line up, for me, as an ex-player, I'm suddenly thinking, you know, well, I really fancy us today. I think we're going to win. It's going to be easy and all those kind of things. And that's with Liverpool, not so much with Preston. And it's just that that whole moment when you've had the roar of the crowd and then the, the crowd goes quiet. And then you're thinking, you know, what, what can it possibly be today? But also, just to think, I can't think of anywhere better to be, apart from Sandy Lane, obviously, and Barbados in January. So being in the corporate seats, nice three-course meal is, is central to this. This isn't no, the no. sort of the earth no, no, situation. No, 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 no. I go to, I go to, not to, I go to watch North End and turn that all down. I manage to sit in the director's box, but uh, no, I, t- I turn that all down for Sats. They are my 
sort of real team because of my dad more than anything and because yeah. I played etc so I could I, you know I'd be, be happy being on the cop at at, uh, at Preston to be honest with you it doesn't make any difference can we boil this down to a very very precise moment because I mean you're talking about the anticipation of a game just before kickoff but then yeah. there's, there's there's an awful lot of crap that goes on before a game Lauro you've got well, at the very top level you've got pyrotechnics you've got the warm-up that's boring Someone yeah. about ninety four gets introduced to the crowd. That's boring too. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm I'm talking about literally the, the the minute or the thirty seconds when all that crap's gone, right? And that right. stupid that especially in the Premier League where they've got that arch thing. I mean, what on earth is all that? I mean, that's I should have moaned about that. What on earth is all that about? But it's just that the realization you're going to have a game of football, and although you expect your team to win, especially if they're good, it's that realization that really you don't know what's going to happen. And that's, I think, I think it's the best thing about football at any level. It really seriously is. And it's just like, you know, you can get some mad results, as we know, can't you? Did you feel that as a player as well? As, no, as I, was too, I, was too busy, I was too busy wetting myself. Well, it's, it's, a similar, it's a similar feeling, I imagine. The anticipation yeah, yeah, yeah. Was well, the same. At least it was on a, on a February day. At least it was warm, wasn't it? It was just total nerves, that. I mean, that's... I remember telling myself one day it was a European Cup semi-final. I think it was Dinamo Bucharest at home. And you're always nervous. And the, the, the footballers who tell you they, were, they weren't and aren't nervous are lying to you. Absolutely total, 100%. But this particular time, I'm thinking, I don't know why, I was just a little bit skitty. And I took myself off the old, uh, under the main stand at Liverpool, I used to go in the treatment room, no windows in it and then everything like that. And I used to try and do the crossword before I used to go out and play. Well, no, you know, because you're in there so early and I was, it, I was bored with it. And, you know, some people, some of the lads would be ready at 10 past two for a three o'clock kickoff and all that. I'm thinking, what? why would you be bothered with that? So I used to do that. And I just remember I sat myself down and gave myself a really good talking to. And I just, I do, and I went, look, nobody's going to die. I, you know, that, that thing about making a mistake, especially when away goals counted, nobody's going to die. So just get on with it. And th- then I was all right. Oh, fair enough. That's a very good perspective. Rather <laughs> unfairly, Lauro, you mm-hmm. kind of ended up with a kind of reputation as someone who didn't really find football very exciting in, in some people's eyes. Now, would you say that's actually unfair or not? Yeah, I love it. But I don't, I don't, yeah. go, I don't go over the top about, you know, you know, brilliant pass, brilliantness, brilliant in football is, is like somebody going past three players and, and smashing it in the top corner or, you know, a save. It's not all the time. And I just think... You know, yes, it's entertaining, but it, it, it's a game. There's mistakes, and um, you know, if it was brilliant, I used to say it was brilliant. But I didn't, I didn't see too many brilliant games, in all honesty. But sort of loads of very good games. Listen, you can, you can, you can appreciate top players, and I think I did that. But yeah, you also put them away. If obviously, they don't do very well. I know, too right. But uh, with that in mind, here's the first clip I've got to play in this episode because this is um, this is from Pro Evolution Soccer 2010. Oh my god. And I have to say I'm really sorry Loro but this does not sound like something you would say at all. What a time to grab the equalizer. The fans are delighted. Oh in for more drama though. Football at its best. <laughs> Come on. Right. Absolutely okay. stealing a living. Right. Football at its best. I was stealing a living. But so we used to do that in three days. Yeah. Okay. In a in a place in Soho that was felt like you should have been in a bathhouse. It was that warm. Oh, right. And they were they were, the, the the words were written by uh, a Japanese gentleman, I do believe. And suddenly, you know, when you start reading them before you actually say them, you thought, "I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it." And then I suddenly thought to myself, "Look, 
if you start changing all the words here, you're going to be five days, let alone three days, and you're only getting and you're only getting paid for three. So just get on with it, which is what I did. Laura, I remember I, I remember speaking to John Champion actually, and he said that some of the time because he did the pro yeah. commentary, yeah, 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 some yeah. of them were. He, he did tweak some of them because they were even more bizarre than they came across. But there was one I remember you saying, and you may not remember it, but it became legendary yeah. amongst uh, my friends at universities. We played it a lot about all they need now is for a piano to drop out of the sky. <laughs> it, made, it made no... We, we were always baffled by it. Do you remember saying that? And do you have any idea what that meant, was meant to mean? Um, I remember saying it. I have no idea. By then, my head had completely gone anyway. Um <laughs> So, yeah, Champers. But Champers is dead straight. He's the straightest man I ever, I've ever met. A great fellow as well. But even he had a moan. Um, so, no, I, I, do, I do remember that. But, you know, in the end, six hours a, six hours a day, you just, your, your brain's full of mush. Having said that, I, I, I just can't imagine an awestruck Mark Lawrenson. I also can't imagine an angry John Champion. I, just, I no. can't imagine him getting annoyed. No, no, I've never, I've never ever, ever seen Champers annoyed. Ever the nearest the nearest I saw to him being annoyed was, and we'd laugh like heck. Was a European Cup final, Champions League final in Rome. I can't even remember who was playing. And chat and Champers of one of the most organised people I've ever met had left his ticket in the hotel room. Oh. Boy oh boy, did he get it! Absolutely, totally got it brilliantly. He's never never ever lived that down. I think we had to get somebody from inside to come out and get and get him in but it was brilliant absolutely does his wife call him champers i wouldn't have thought so she's quite posh oh so of, of all the surnames charlie to, to be to be shortened into a nickname i would have thought champion would at least remain intact but no, <laughs> no nothing is sacred champers doesn't feel quite as ingrained as your loros your your rushies your righties yeah well, of course, Mark, Mark, Mark Chapman. So that, mm. that was very close, wasn't it? I mean, he gets chappers, I think, doesn't he? Snappy. It's good. Right. Let's hear about your second love of football. And this is great. This is managers falling out on the touchline. Yeah. Best ever. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the, the more the merrier. But did you know something? They never, ever throw a punch. Yeah. That would, that mm. would be the ultimate. That would be weird. That would be great. I mean, I don't know if you remember, the, the season just gone. Arsenal at Anfield, doing extremely well. And mm -hmm. Arteta went mad over something on the touchline. His team were doing great, went mad. And Klopp obviously went up the old, you know, up to his face, basically. Had an argument. But you know what happened? Because it was a strange day that day and the, and the cop were really quiet for once. The cop sort of joined in and thought, wow, here we go. And it, it changed the course of the game. And I think Arsenal got beat four in the end. But it, it was great. The other one I remember as well was, and this was very interesting, was Sean Dice and Klopp. They had this, that, that, this cotton just before the end of the first half and started walking up the tunnel together. And I, I was watching from the other side. I thought, go on then. Like, you know, somebody just like chuck one in. But I don't think you'd be fighting Big Sean, would you? But I love, I love all that stuff. It's great, isn't it? I honestly, I, I'm trying to imagine Charlie, two Premier League managers at trading punches. I just, I can't imagine what stage of civilization we'd have to get to for for that to happen. But, um, but this is a great, this is a great footballing subgenre. I'm so glad you've picked this. And a couple of examples that I've, um, that I've noted down, which, which. I, I didn't actually plan for this, but they seem to have fit into a separate subgenre, which is English managers having a go at foreign managers because they think they can get away with it a little bit more. The first one, and I think this, Charlie, this is this is to me the ultimate 
um, of the subgenre, which is Alan Pardew versus Manuel Pellegrini, which contains the immortal line, shut your noise, you fucking old c- <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, pound for pound, is the greatest set of words uttered in Premier League history. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm all it's for right. it. What was amazing about that as well, wasn't it, was that... Um, there wasn't that big an age gap, I think, between the two. <laughs> it, it, it was reported at the time. Oh, so uh, fair enough, actually. There is an eight-year gap. That's more than I remembered I don't it being. I think that's enough. But it wasn't, yeah. Old. I mean, so, I wouldn't be calling someone eight years older than me old, I don't think. That's, you know, that's, that's not that different. They'd have to be at least 65, wouldn't they, Lauren? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Good age, apparently. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, they both managed West Ham, didn't they? Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, Pardew wasn't to know that, of course. So uh, maybe he would have maybe he would have held back if he knew. My other example, um, this has a little bit more subtlety to it, but I still really enjoy it, and uh, I hope the audio works for this one. This is uh, Kenny Dalglish and Arsene Wenger at the Emirates back in 2011. This is when Liverpool got a penalty to equalise in what I think was the 11th minute of injury time, and it's it's just the um, and I'm sure the video would really help our listeners here, but let's let's hope the audio works. It's the sheer dismissiveness of Kenny Dalglish here to uh, a sort of emotionless Arsene Wenger. (laughs) 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 Superbly delivered. And and, um, I think technical areas, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, of course we should frown upon this and not encourage it, but technical areas, it's, it's the best place for it to happen, isn't it? Contained. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, I've I've heard that I've heard him say that many times. That okay. Kenny, yeah, both as a player, as a player, probably more as a player manager. When yeah, we used to have Rouser and me and Hanson on the pitch, and we had this thing where you had to get the ball into him, and, you know, at a certain height for him, easy to control and all that. But but there'd be bodies everywhere. Sometimes it was really difficult, right? And in case it might come up near his chest or a bit, you know, two centimeters to his left, and like he'd, he'd always control it, knock it off, and then he would just look round at you. And you could say, and he'd say to you, fucking into my feet. I went, fuck off. We can't get anywhere near your feet. We used to have these massive rows. Yeah. And then walk off the pitch and we won and everything was good. There you go. Mm. That's what happens. We asked Loro, our listeners, for the what they thought should be the mandatory elements of a managerial touchline bust-up. Um, I quite like this one. This is the first one from Ross FJ. He says, one or both of the managers knows that the barrier of the fourth official will keep them safe. It's amazing. This is where the fourth official really comes in handy, Laura. It's just they become mm. this kind of human shield for two managers who, who as you've already said, aren't going to throw a punch, but they do want to get as close as they can. So it's kind of hold me back, sort of looking over the fourth official's shoulder. Like, it's hold me back, please, basically, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, well, you know that. And that's another thing, fourth officials. I mean, what actually do they do? And they, they, I just wish somebody would actually have a proper fisticuffs on the line. That would just be <laughs> sensational. But it just it seriously, would it, I tell you what would be really interesting as well, whether you got sacked by the owner of the football club, what do you think? Or, or rewarded. I mean, there was... Yeah, there was well, the, the, well, the, the, the reward closest... is probably that you don't get sacked. Yeah, the closest though was Wenger and Mourinho. I mean, they almost... I mean, it wasn't punches, but it was kind of... The closest kind of physical context. And our friend, our friend Alan Pardew uh, got involved with a player, didn't he, famously? Oh, did he? Well, I mean... Yeah, David Myler. Wenger and Mourinho, no, there's not, there's no chance a punch would ever be thrown between <laughs> those. Absolutely no. Who would you back in that fight, Laura? Um, I think I'd back Wenger. He's got a better reach, hasn't he? He's, he's very tall. This is very important. Very tall man. 
I think Jose would be running. I think a lot of people were quite surprised when when Wenger sort of gave Mourinho so much of a shove. But it's it's the sheer reach of the lever of that <laughs> yeah. arm. Don't underestimate it. That's Absolutely. a powerful man in there. In that you know, hidden within that, that wiry, wiry frame. studious frame <laughs> is a very, very powerful man. Next up, Charlie, Mike Hull says a touchline bust up is always the moment in the spotlight for an assistant manager or first team coach. They'll be the most aggressive and the one who doesn't let it go. He says, I'm looking at you, Sammy Lee. Sammy Lee, I feel like, is something of a, a scrappier end of the assistant coach. Yeah, he's, he's the nicest person you'll ever, ever meet. And, and when he gets excited, if you thought he, he spoke quickly when it was normal. Yeah, I wonder if this is skewed slightly by that pic, that famous picture of him uh, with Roy Hodgson, where he is leaping out of the, where they're bo- both him and Hodgson are leaping out of the technical area when they're at Liverpool. And it's, uh, it, he, he does look very much in that attack dog kind of mould. I think Mike Hull's getting it. He didn't know. He'd have licked you to death. But that's the job of the assistant manager generally, though, is it's, it's to be the kind of bad cop, isn't it? It's go in there and, especially in these particular scenarios, Lauro, it's to go in there yeah. and do the damage because the manager can't do it. No, and the, the other thing as well is, is you, you're very aware that the players hear the manager's voice day in, day out. And occasionally, obviously, the, the, the bad cop voice was good. I remember um, Joe Fagan before he was manager, when Bob Pace was manager of Liverpool. We had, we had two occasions... Only two occasions where he went absolutely bananas in the dressing room. And it was full of like, you know, Dalglish, Sunes, Thompson, Hansen, all the old stages and the new stages and everything. And you couldn't hear a pin drop. It was like, wow, wow. Um, but he was, and he was also very, very clever. One, one other occasion was, and it, well, he, he didn't go mad. He just came in. I think we obviously get him beat or got beat by somebody. And he just said, he said, I'm looking around this room and there are people not doing it. And you know what you do? You ask yourself. You think, your first thing you say is like, Christ, does he mean me? So he's got the whole bloody room thinking, does, it, does he mean me? So that absolutely works. Treat that one. So the mind game's over the raised voice, he feels. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Although the raised voice was impressive. I'm sure some of the paint was peeling by the time he finished with it. I really like this one from Liam Ferry, Charlie, who says, in the post-bust-up interviews, the English manager justifies his rage at the foreign manager because the latter broke a piece of that's-not-how-we-do-things-over-here etiquette <laughs> that the former has just made up. That is a real staple of Premier League culture. I mean, what, I mean, what are the... What, it's like handshakes are a big deal of this, Charlie, aren't they? It's kind of, well, you know, over here... We do yeah. things our way. Or things like that, or things like talking to the ref in a certain way or asking for a player to be booked or, or you know, getting too involved. I mean, this is where the, the famous Ferguson, he comes in from Japan about Wenger. Yeah. I mean, that was a very much, that's not how we do things. You know, it was, it was all rooted in the, that's not how we do things over here. I think my favourite example of, it's a very subtle one, but my favourite example, Lauro, of managers complaining about um, how we do things over here is when I think it was Phil Brown, who was then Hull manager, mm-hmm. complaining about Cesc Fabregas coming on the pitch at the Emirates wearing jeans, as if that was some <laughs> sort of law that he'd broken. Listen, Only Europeans would do that. Well, can't do listen, that over here. It's true, though. Well, well, the thing is, as well, as well, I mean, the former Hull manager, he, he thinks he's quite trendy, doesn't he? And by the way, and if, if, if you wanted an Alsatian to be with you as a manager, do you, would you remember Brian Horton? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Brian was, Brian, Brian was with Phil. And Brian, Brian is an Alsatian, I'm telling you, but he gets mad like every other minute. The, the other one I'm thinking of is Rui Farrier, Mourinho's number two, and he was seen as a, his attack dog. 
Um, I feel like he was just employed just for that purpose, Charlie. Probably yeah, wasn't that way. Just get another yeah. one in if he if he gets sacked or something. But the thing yeah. about him is, you just knew he was never going to punch you. Right. You, you, you knew if you like even like raise your eyebrow that he'd scuttle back and sit on the bench and pretend to be talking to someone else. He was. I think cowardish, I would say. This sounds amazingly like it's from personal experience, which is an <laughs> no. image that I'm really enjoying. No, no, I never, I never fell out with anybody, to be honest with you. Never, never, ever, ever. I didn't even like moan at referees, I don't think. As far as I know, probably they'll say different, but no. Interesting that you say that, because speaking of fallings out, Lauro, now Guy Mowbray's already had his say on this, but could you... Tell us the story behind your alleged falling out with Guy Mowbray live on TV at the 2010 World Cup. Well, there wasn't one. Sounds like there was. Should we listen to it? I think we should. No, listen, listen to, it. to it. Yeah, please. Walk man out in the Spain eleven, and that he doesn't play for Barcelona or Real Madrid. Oh, that he's not very good. You can say that. Just did. <laughs> oh, it's, a joke. it's a great tackle this by. I think it's Xabi Alonso. He wins the ball. What's wrong with that? You're supposed to say nothing. I am saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, guy. I think Spain need to change. It's powder puff at the moment. You're right. Fine. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> Come on in. What happened? Nothing, absolutely, absolutely nothing. I see, I see him, I see him loads because um, I spend a lot of time in York, which is where a guy lives. So we have beers together, and I, I think he he was asked about it, and he said the same thing. But if if there'd been a difference of opinion between the two of us, I would have said. But nah, he's just a good lad. I don't, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it for a second. This is the truth, according to Guy Mowbray. Charlie, Guy says he dropped his pen, hit his head on the desk on the way down. <laughs> Hit his knee on the desk on the way back up. So he's in sort of double agony. So Loro was sort of just looking across at him saying, what's the matter with you? So, But of course we didn't know that. So no. all these years, all these years I've assumed that there was this massive on-air falling out in the midst of a gruelling World Cup schedule. But it turns out it wasn't. Disappointed. Well, listen, the fact I asked him, is he all right? Obviously then realised that he had hit his head or his knee or, 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 or whatever, because he's never sure to words. I didn't realise. I, I honestly didn't realise. So it is it what it is. It's like something of a married couple there, though, Lauro. I mean, but, uh, that's the, but that's the co-commentator-commentator relationship, right? Not my type, I'm afraid. <laughs> but too much Yorkshire in there. Yeah, fair enough. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. You're listening to Mezzet Harland Dicks with Loro. Now, Loro, it's time for the exciting part. This is where you're going to tell us about your irritations of football, which I feel like is much more up your street, isn't it? Let's face it. I don't know what you possibly mean. Your first one is pre-match press conferences. Waste of time. <laughs> What's that? Listen, and everyone, every single one. So you're playing against Crystal Palace and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan Pardew is a fantastic manager. He's done really well with the team. It's absolutely totally bollocks. It's just like we need, we're going to stuff them 5 0. They're a pile of crap and they're all and north of Watford. They're useless. So do one. Charlie, from your professional perspective, are they a waste of time? I'm inclined to agree with Loro. I mean, Loro is certainly not alone in this view. Um, there are many people. Uh, in the industry, you share this. I mean, it depends who it is. I think a lot of the time they are, and there I've been to ones with managers where you all know it's a waste of time. Mm. There are some who are more interesting, and there's something worthwhile that you get from it. But it is it is a very strange convention, and the whole thing as well that you're all sat down while they're raised up, and you're sort of looking up at them. Mm. It's uh, there's a lot of things that when you take a step back, you think this is quite weird, actually. It's you know, like being, it's quite like being at school with a kind of headmaster, and you have to look. Yeah. Do you know what? Do you know? Do you know where this stems from, though? Fergie. Fer, Fer, mm. Fergie told a lot of you know the young managers that the say you're playing on the Saturday, the Friday lunchtime press conference is your time to actually get things off your chest, mm. and basically it had nothing to do with the team you're playing. It's just you've mm. got to get something off your chest, which actually I think probably was, was good advice. Mind you, he must have been doing that every week, getting something off his chest. No, they've definitely moved away from previewing the game. I mean, often they'll be you'll be at one and then there'll be one question on, oh, and what do you what do you make of Brighton? Yeah, yeah, they're doing really well. But everything else is, as you say, it's just kind of side issues yeah. and tangents that they want to talk about. You know the managers hate it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, by the way, by the way, sorry, but the managers are saying, yeah, I'll do it at 8.30 in the morning are basically saying... This is a pile of shit. But if you're willing, <laughs> if you're willing to turn up at half eight, get in, no, leave me home at half five and listen to my crap, good luck. I, I do feel like there's at least a hierarchy going on here, though, Charlie. I mean, Premier League pre-match press conference, I understand why they exist. They're part of the news cycle. You have the weekend games, so you might as well have a bit of a catch-up on Friday, like, as you say, to chat about general issues as well as the upcoming game. So the Premier League ones, they're kind of set in stone. I, I get what they happen. Pre-Champions League group games press conferences... I think are where it starts to get very silly because you, you have two very irrelevant players that get mm-hmm. kind of put up and they, and they give the the ultimate Champions League chat of you know great tests. Um, this, these the, these are the stages we want to play on and this is the dream I've always had. Um, so there's that. That's like that's like mid table and then the real pits. Loro, I think mm-hmm. it's pre international friendly press conferences. I mean, what would we ever learn from that? 
No, nothing. I mean, you, you might occasionally, you might occasionally get somebody just drop it. Well, I'm going to start with X, mm. but it's just the so bland, so so bland. And also, I think with the players that they put up as well, they're, they're frightened to even speak because if if you're not you're not a regular saying playing for England, what what are you going to say? I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. It's like really playing for England. Well, good luck. That's true. Right, let's go on to your second irritation of football. This is magnificent. This is <laughs> very, very specific as well. <laughs> this is referees making players walk over to them. Tossers. Hundred <laughs> percent tossers. All right. You've 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 committed a misdemeanor and you're five yards away. You do not want a referee like just stood there saying, Come here and speak to me. You just want to slap him. So I mean, you know what as well, and this is a big thing of mine, it's normally the small ones who do it. Okay. Yes, very much so. Any and in I'm, mind? Yeah, Mike Dean. <laughs> uh, or as the boys call him, Pearl and. But, um Good. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, I don't I just don't... If you're going to book somebody or tell them off or do it, just go and walk over and do it. What well, you know... It's one of them, everybody's watching me. Aren't I good? I'm going to book this fella. They think I'm marvellous. Fuck off. Just do it. <laughs> Laura, you said before about how you, would, you, you've never, you wouldn't even have a go at a ref, but surely you would give them sarky comments and that sort of thing. I mean, no, I can't imagine you resisting that. I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I honestly really didn't. I just, and it, it's like... Something daft like me and Hanson wouldn't even run down 60 yards and congratulate somebody that they scored. We'd be like stood there thinking, well, that's two sprints we don't have, that's two sprints less we don't have to do. Keep no, no, live a little. Conserve, no, come, no, like conserve your energy. What's, what's the point of running down there? It was the Arsenal player who, who scored against his old club who ran like 300 yards. That's a bio, yeah. What a, what a tosser. What's, I mean, what? Oh, I, don't, I, just, I, just, I just don't get it. But no, I would. I very rarely spoke to referees, to be honest with you. I, I didn't see the point because they never changed their mind, did they? Grammar school education, obviously, I was I was a step ahead. Yeah, you're the vanguard of marginal gains and this sort oh, of thing. You know, there you go. You know, not not doing extra sprints, so that never conserving your energy. See, never considered up, up there for thinking, down there for dancing. The best, very much so. the best person I ever played though for moaning at referees and talking to them, Sir Bobby Charlton, oh, manager oh, manager really? of Preston when I was a kid. Mind, and and honestly, and the referees, they did they bent over backwards for him. He just he, you know something like he'd say, "Oh, ball, yes, Bobby, no, but it was amazing, Oof. honestly, it, uh, amazing. It was like it was wonderful to behold. Whatever he said to them, he just agreed. We did with many games though, <laughs> but it is interesting that you've chosen this very specific type of refereeing body language because Charlie, to me. The, ref- the referee demanding that someone come over to them is the ultimate display of refereeing authority, for better or worse. Um, but I, I do quite like it uh, when in kind of to preempt this, a player will already start walking away. Mm. And as a TV viewer, you look at it thinking, oh, you're going to have to go all the way back now. And then th- when it gets to the point where they've walked so far, you think, oh, do they even know? And it, I, find it very, I find the whole thing very uncomfortable because you know what's about to unfold and they're just going to have to walk very far to go and get booked. And it, it, if they are doing it in a sort of act of dissent then they're the op- they're doing the opposite of Laura and they're wasting energy yeah, by exactly. the further they go the further they're going to have to come back and, and that could really cost them now you know why we won all those medals we, exactly saved all the energy 
this could now be in a, yeah the inside story of Liverpool's successes. That yeah. could be one of the uh, the X Y Zs. I reckon. I reckon now because you know you've got like um, throwing coaches and all those kind of things. This uh, this could get me a job at Anfield. And I'm, it, don't it really you could. start walking over there and start and tell them, you stay where you are. Like, that'll I be thought good. you'd had your fill of being a specialist coach hired <laughs> in the Premier League that. era. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Um, do you, um, but have you considered the opposite phenomenon to this? The referee shooing a player away, which I really like. It's this very specific movement of the hands. Did you ever get shooed away? That must be more annoying, surely. Well, no, I don't... Go away. I don't think I did because I was I was very rarely in trouble. Although said that said the man who was the first person ever for Liverpool to get sent off in the European Cup, um, but that was a, that was a stitch up in Bulgaria. Oh right, I see. Yeah, stitch up in chasing the game. Bruce Yant had his best game when we were chasing the game, and I tackled this guy over on the far touchline, right in front of a linesman. Ryan's, linesman raised his flag, and a referee came over and sent me off. And on my kid's life, I'm like, what? I, I tackled him, and he fell over. And they reckon I'd struck him in the face. So I came off and Bob Paisley said to me, did he hit him? I said, boss, honestly, I just tackled him. I said I was nowhere near his face. So we went to UEFA and asked if the Bulgarians would send us the footage of the incident. And guess what? <laughs> it never, ever came. And I got a two-max ban. Oh, Loro. It's in the North Sea somewhere, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, of course, this isn't the... Um... This isn't the first time you've expressed your distaste for footballing authority. Here, everybody, is another <laughs> slice of Loro gold. This is Frank Lampard's goal that wasn't versus Germany in 2010. Milner, Defoe, that's a lovely touch. Lampard! Brilliant! Is it now? That surely crossed the line. It's not been given. It's begin. He's here. I hope he's squirming in his seat, by the way. Look at that. He knew he was in. We knew he was in. Nice to see you and Mowbray on the same page, though, at least there. Getting <laughs> Best on. of friends. <laughs> yeah, Best good, of good. friends. You nailed it there. Well, I mean, we had a great view as well of it. So, I mean, pathetic, wasn't it? Yeah, of course it was. There you go, Charlie. Loro changing the landscape of football once again, ushering in the advent of goal the line very technology. next World Cup. Yeah. It was there. Should have, brought, should have brought some shares in bar. Christ, <laughs> my, my. never, never forward thinking. Right, so so let's let's just recap briefly. We've talked about the anticipation of the game just before kickoff. We've talked about managers falling out on the touchline. We've talked about pre-match press conferences. Referees mm. making players walk over to them. Yeah, slightly annoying, but we haven't quite got to the essence of Loro yet. We haven't hit peak Loro. <laughs> we haven't cut to the very core of your DNA yet until now. When we want to talk about players squealing after they've been tackled. <laughs> Do you remember Drogba? Yeah. West, West Brom away. Right, Brian Robson, I think, managed West Brom mm. at the time, and uh, somebody caught him. And he, well, he, to say he died was a, was was an understatement. And he and he squealed. He's six foot buddy, whatever, and like, made of whatever. And how pathetic is that? I'm told, I'm told that John Terry, on the Monday after that game, had a word with him and said basically, we don't do that. So, <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. There's a classic one. But yeah, I mean, yeah. what's that? It's that. I, I really, really don't get it. I mean, I, I'd love still to be playing because you'd just slaughter somebody, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, it's true. You, you'd have to. You'd just have to slaughter them. I mean, you know, 
and unfortunately, when someone's seriously injured, they ain't squealing. And we all know that. And you just know there's that moment and everybody feels it. But the ones are like, oh, my God, do me a favour. <laughs> well, let's let's delve into this because this this to me is is the most fascinating one of all. But um, you, I, I'm glad you mentioned there Drogba's height as some sort of reason about why he shouldn't go down squealing. How tall? What's what's the what's the what's the shortest you can be before <laughs> it starts to genuinely hurt? What five eleven? If it, is it over six foot, you're not allowed to be hurt. What's what are we talking? Let's go six. Okay, six foot. Anything yeah. under that's fine. Squealing is allowed. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. no, cause normally you're, you're probably a little bit skinny and not the most m- muscular. <laughs> this is great. Charlie, do you know what? For a second, I was worried we weren't going to get the full Loro experience, but now we have. This is great. Um, um, so I've left the best slice of Loro till last. This this sums up your... Um, this is worrying me. Your genuine and understandable disdain for this mini footballing phenomenon, a modern phenomenon as well. This is the 2018 World Cup. France versus Australia. Lucas <laughs> Hernandez goes down near the corner flag. Got a bit of a squeal, didn't we? Look, what? What is all that about? Please. Yes, it's a foul. Dislocated shoelace. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of a more Loro diagnosis. Yeah. Than dislocated shoelace. It yeah. really is perfect. Well done. Thank you. I'm obviously at my best in World Cups. Pity I've finished. <laughs> So, Laura, do you find modern football more? Does it wind you up more than football used to? Or no, it doesn't. Found irritation. No, it doesn't actually. Now, I think it's. I think I do think it's better. It's. It's only the VAR bit that obviously gets. I think gets to everybody. But I think generally it's better. I don't think we have too much squealing anymore. Um, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. I really. I really don't think we do. We have fade injuries, but we've had that for years and years and years, haven't we? And tr- and diving for pens and all that kind of stuff. But no, I think. I do, I do think it's it, it's better, isn't it? Well, it's and it's packaged. I mean, that's the only that's the only thing I could have had another moan out about it being packaged in the Premier League and all that guardy guardy gar and Sky and stuff. But um, yeah, no, I think it is better. I want to talk a little bit more about squealing, though. Whenever we rail against the noises that players make when they go down uninjured, um, there's there's an element of kind of masculinity that comes into it. But I, I think there's another angle to this. I think it's just simply learned behaviour. They know that if you if you make a sound like that, there's a greater chance that your opponent is going to get booked or sent off. So it, it's a more cynical act, Loro. It isn't about it isn't about being soft. It's about being snidey and cynical. It's well, about trying to get your opponent sent off. Well, that's 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 undoubtedly come from the earlier squealing, isn't it? Somebody's somebody's actually worked out that yeah, you've got to. Well, I think not just the squealing now as well. It's it's a double somersault and. Triple sulker and all that that yeah. comes in with it as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, it is, isn't it? It is. It's what they do. It's just it would irritate me. I mean, I, I can honestly say I've never ever kicked anybody deliberately playing football. But boy, I'd have a but a field day today. You just you just be whacking them, wouldn't you? You really would. That does yeah. sound fun. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you mentioned now the the triple salco, which I think is the cornerstone of uh, proper football men describing how footballers um, go to ground too easily. We asked our listeners about other old-school ways of describing a player going down too easily. Andy Barge, Charlie, says, going down like a sack of potatoes. That is that is really mm-hmm. the original and best, isn't it? A sack of potatoes. Yeah, that's the, the, the PG-13 version of, as well, you'll hear a slightly ruder mm. spin on that from the terraces. Yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Lauro, we have we have completed your journey through your fascinations and irritations of football. Um, 
do you, do you love football more as a result of this last 50 odd minutes? I love, yeah, I, do, I, I absolutely do love football. I just don't, I don't like the cheaters and the, well, obviously you can gather and I just like, you know, get, get out there, be honest, um, you know, play properly and obviously try and win. So that's never going to happen. But no, I love it. Because I, I mean, I even go and watch Southport where I live, you know, and that's, that's not a good watch. I can tell you, you got, you got a sore neck by the end of that. So, <laughs> but no, it's, I just, yeah. so it's been my life. So, um, just wish I'd, I'd obviously play cricket instead. <laughs> well, I'm delighted that you spent your time to share it with us. Well, I'm glad I'm 170th. 169? Don't worry. Not, not that I'm moaning about that at all, you understand. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be Hanson next. We'll get Hanson. Um, no, you what, you won't. Oh, that's a no. shame. He's never done a thing, Al, since he finished. I miss him. I miss him, Lauro. Yeah, I miss him. Well, I still, no, I still see him, but I do miss him. But, Say um, hello from me. Yeah, I will do. Mm. Will do. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate Pleasure. it. Pleasure. Cheers to you, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. That was brilliant. Cheers. We'll, Thank you. We'll see everybody next week. Cheerio. The Athletic. <laughs>